Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. This is The Guardian. Gorman, lifestyle editor of Guardian Australia, and this is Save for Later. And I'm Steph Harmon. And I'm Michael Sun. So this is a podcast where we read the internet so that you don't have to. We also try, as you may have heard from last week's episode, to mine the internet for joy and bring the happiness from our feed into yours. Today, we are getting meta. We're going to find out exactly what the metaverse is in the hopes that our colleagues stop asking us to explain it. And later, Alex has forced Michael and I to try our hand at an extremely viral recipe with mixed results. So it feels like for the past few months, Every two or three days, someone in our office is popping up in my G-chat saying, should we do a quick little metaverse explainer? Can you just quickly explain the metaverse for the Guardian readers? The word was everywhere before Facebook announced its own pivot to metaverse and a new change of name to go with it. And despite being quite online, I actually don't understand it. So I keep patting them off. So we thought instead of us trying to explain something we do not really understand, we would bring in someone much smarter, Josh Taylor. He is a reporter who does in his own words, tech stuff at Guardian (laughs) Australia. Josh, how many times have our colleagues asked you to explain the metaverse? It's it's been quite a few times that I've been asked about it, but it's one of those things where uh, the more Facebook tries to explain it, I think the more people are confused and and I don't think anyone really knows what it's actually going to end up looking like when we actually get to it. Walk us through what it's meant to feel like. Like, How does this actually work? How does the metaverse work? So a metaverse is essentially a virtual universe within our existing universe where you can go in there and you can create your own world and you can go to the shops and you can go meet with friends and you can do, go to whatever you want, but it's all done virtually, not not like going down to the shops here. So it's it's more of a, a world within a world that they've created that you can exist in and, and do whatever you want. And Facebook's iteration of that, how is, how is one company going to make that happen? Well, that we still need to wait and see. I think at the moment it just looks like uh, glorified Zoom meetings um, and, you know, you can build your own little house and you can choose your clothes <laughs> and everything like that. But beyond that, it's still very early days in, t- in terms of what they'll actually look like in person. I mean, Facebook is a major corporation. They have so much money. They have so many brains. They have so many smart people, so many creative people. Why did their pitch deck and their corporate video look so dorky? Like, why can't they get it right? <laughs> I believe the metaverse is the next chapter for the internet. 
And it's the next chapter for our company, too. So I've been thinking a lot about what this All right, perfect. We are, because we embark on this journey. <laughs> oh, hey, Mark. Hey, what's going on? Hey, Hi. Mark. What's up, Mark? Whoa, we're floating in space? Uh-huh. Who made this? If they're trying to attract young, cool people to this new idea, why did it have to be so bad? I, I think you can say that just about every sort of communication strategy that Facebook does. They can't seem to get it right very well. Like they, they, I think you constantly have to look at it from the top down. I think it's Mark is quite controlling over how everything turns out. So while there might be you know, very, very well-paid people in there saying, no, this is a terrible idea. I reckon he ultimately has the final say and, you know, what he says goes. So you get those stilted jokers about him being a robot and things like that included. (laughs) Buzz, is that you? Of course it's me. You know I had to be the robot, man. (laughs) I thought I was supposed to be the robot. (laughs) Can you also send that to my dad? I'll message him. All right, see you at home. This place is great, Buzz, but there's something I got to get back to. All right, so that's a glimpse of a few ways that we're going to be able to get together and socialize in the metaverse. Yeah, I think there was part of that video where Mark is uh, walking around his fake house being like, you're going to be able to design your home to look the way you want and put your own pictures up and invite people over and play games and hang out. And I was like, <laughs> I can already do that, man. Like, <laughs> It feels like Facebook's co-opting of the, of the metaverse feels particularly cringe, uh, not just because of the reasons we've already talked about, but also because their announced video was this incredibly bloated, very long affair with a lot of points that people pulled out on social media, especially Twitter, talking about how Facebook's vision in the metaverse is one that's all about connection and people talking to each other, but the way they actually talk to each other in the video is incredibly wooden and stilted. Michael, (laughs) you say that and yet you've turned up to this Zoom as a robot today. (laughs) The concept videos that they put together are not what it looks like in reality at the moment. We're still very much in the early stages of like people still looking like rudimentary cartoon characters, not like anything even quite immersive or, you know, you're not going to step into the matrix or something like that when you go into it. So Mm -hmm. it's still going to be quite basic, but their vision of it is, you know, it looks like you'd have holograms within your house and and things like that. So that's sort of of the end goal, but it's going to take them a long, long time if they ever want to get there. And who knows if Facebook will last that long. Just before we get too deep into what the metaverse actually is, I think we need to get the elephant out of the room. Why did Facebook actually make this decision to dive in? Was it kind of just like, you know, to cover the other elephants in the room um, (laughs) that were being talked about? Nothing covers an elephant like throwing a giant pink (laughs) frilly towel with the word meta all over it on top of the elephant. <laughs> Facebook has had to deal with uh, a lot of uh, bad news in the past couple of months, uh, particularly the, the Facebook files, essentially the the leaks from uh, whistleblower Francis Haugen and, and sort of the, the flow on from that. Basically, her testimony before Congress seemed to confirm everything people had been saying about Facebook. My name is Francis Haugen. I used to work at Facebook, but I'm here today because I believe Facebook's products harm children, stoke division, and weaken our democracy. And also, Facebook knew about it and did nothing about it. The company's leadership knows how to make Facebook and Instagram safer, but won't make the necessary changes because they have put their astronomical profits before people. So that, that it's definitely them trying to essentially rebrand. A lot of people are comparing it to say, you know, what cigarette companies do. I, I, I thought a lot about, um, you know, how all the companies sort of involved in Australia's offshore detention system renamed themselves to try to, to, to yeah. improve their image. So that, that that was my immediate reaction to that. So I, I don't think a lot of people are buying 
um, the sincerity behind the announcement. I mean, I'm sure it's something that Mark Zuckerberg cares a lot about and really wants to do, but the timing of it is very, I'm, I'm very cynical about it. Why do we think the metaverse has had such a surge in repopularity recently? Because Josh, you were saying earlier that there are so many examples of quite retro virtual reality spaces like Second Life, for example. I think that was like all the rage in the mid-2000s. But what has happened to make this become such a huge thing again? If I can just posit a guess, I'd say maybe it was everyone being trapped in their homes, people (laughs) having genuine kind of meetings and interactions in spaces like Mario Kart and Animal Crossing. I mean, the Animal Crossing resurgence and the activities that we saw there and how that became such a meeting place last year, I think was a significant signal to the market that people who might not necessarily be that heavily involved in gaming otherwise might be open to the idea of shifting more towards a virtual world and the reality is especially very, very young people are all over platforms like Roblox and Fortnite in their billions and, you know, where young people aren't is Facebook. The other thing is I think that it's just something that billionaires are quite obsessed with at the moment. You know, um, Elon Musk is trying to get off the planet. Mark Zuckerberg is trying to come to a reality that he hasn't ruined, all that sort of stuff. Um, so uh, it's it's one of those things that I think that they're quite obsessed with. And, and as Alex said, I think the other factor involved there is that Facebook is trending towards an older demographic now. So they've got to figure out a way to keep younger people signing up and being engaged. And and this this did came come out in the Facebook files where, you know, they're looking at how to get kids involved. And then part of that was like talking about using Messenger in the playground and stuff like that. So they're looking at ways to to keep kids engaged with it and involved in it. And they're not gonna, you know, they're not gonna sign up for Facebook. Facebook is this horrible thing that your your parents use to share anti-vaccination memes and stuff like that. So uh, I I can see why they're trying their hand at something different. And and I think, you know, if you look at the history of technology Everyone was sort of waiting for something like the iPhone until the iPhone came out. And I think a lot of people in the tech community see the metaverse as sort of the next evolution in technology. I mean, I'm still, I still don't understand what the metaverse is and I'm going to keep digging into that because I <laughs> still don't quite get it. But it seems like a lot of what was in those videos was around gaming, a little bit about workspaces as well. Is this something that game, gamers really want though? Like do they want to inhabit a virtual reality world when they're not gaming? Haven't we all had enough of screen time over the last couple of years? Well, if you listen to at least some of the many and varied definitions about what the metaverse is, some gamers already consider their participation in massive multiplayer online role-playing games as being part of the metaverse. So it's not necessarily even about having them engage in this when they're not playing games. It's about the idea, at least for some people, that the metaverse already exists and it's just the sort of most fun and dynamic layer of the internet as it is now. But it's also about portability between games. So if you have a very cool avatar that you've spent lots of real money on making look awesome in Fortnite and then a new game starts, maybe you want to be able to transport that avatar with you to a different space rather than those spaces being closed off. And that's why we talk about virtual worlds versus a verse, which is a universe where everything is connected. I feel like I've also heard a lot about the metaverse and NFTs, which if you don't know what NFTs are, go and Google it because we just don't have the time to explain it on this podcast. It would take an entire episode, I reckon. 
Um, but these friends, they're right now really getting to buying NFT clothing and buying NFT homewares because they, they're, they're convinced that we're going to be living in a virtual world in like 10 years' time and they want to have the hottest look when we eventually all enter this virtual world. And they think something they bought now is going to be hot in 10 years. <laughs> Steph, it's not, that it's, it's not that it's hot, it's that it's vintage. By the time <laughs> we've all uploaded our mm-hmm, avatars, mm-hmm. and I say this as someone who has bought a pair of virtual Gucci sneakers just to see what, what? that was about. How yeah. much did you spend on that? Uh, $18 of the Guardian's money. Huh. It was for a story. Uh, but those those virtual sneakers, if I was on the platform Roblox, which has lots and lots of games on it where you can kind of port your avatar across, I could be wearing my virtual Gucci sneakers in all the different games on that platform. And the idea of an NFT in that you know, there's only one of it means that when the technology catches up, maybe your avatar will be able to wear that across worlds. But the thing about all of them is that for the most part, they currently look terrible. Also, it's a very early investment, I feel. Like, how likely is it that we're even going to be living in these worlds? I think it's really speculative at the moment. Like, it's just, you know, throwing stuff at the wall and, or in this case, cash and seeing what sticks. The NFTs is kind of the interesting one because although to me it does feel like vaporware a fair bit, I think that it is sort of showing that there's a market for people to pay for things that don't physically exist. And uh, that sort of leads into what people are willing to pay for in a metaverse if, it, if it's not uh, there already. And, yeah, and we have seen that already. You know, people pour loads and loads of money into Fortnite already for for things they can buy in that and, and special outfits and dance moves and stuff like that. So there is a market for it. But I guess, um, you know, we, we don't know what it's going to look like in, in Facebook's version of it. They've talked about the use of NFTs in marketplaces there, but we don't really know how it's going to look in reality yet. We've talked about a lot about the future of the metaverse, but where did this term actually originate, Josh? Like, where do we get this term metaverse? Uh, yeah, so it, it's a term from a, a, a book that came out in 1992 called Snow Crash. Snow Crash by Neil Stevenson. Chapter 1. In the lingo, this imaginary place is known as the Metaverse. Hero spends a lot of time in the Metaverse. And that's sort of the origin of it. The author of that book um, has disassociated himself from um, (laughs) Facebook and and said he had nothing to do with it. But it's sort of been a a sci-fi term for quite a while, you know, you can you can see different versions of it. You know, Ready Ready Player One had a, you know could be considered a metaverse. Um, I mean, you could consider the Matrix a metaverse in in a, in a number of respects. Probably the bit bit more dystopian. And I mean, the 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 um, metaverse in uh, Snow Crash was a bit more uh, dystopian than utopian, which is what Facebook's trying to paint it as. So it it, ha- it has been around for quite a few years, and it's and it's one of those things. You know, a lot of the things that sort of originate in in science fiction can end up being something that we use, but <laughs> Uh, this one still seems very early days. Do any of you guys currently or have you ever inhabited a metaverse? I have previously inhabited what probably be considered a metaverse as it is now, but certainly my first foray into a digital world was when I was about 11 years old and uh, first logged on to Neopets where you could raise a series of rainbow pets, play games with them and interact with other players and even at the time, people were prepared to pay real money for rare Neopets. You could buy them on eBay and there were, in fact, even Neopet crime rings. 
gangs operating to sort of scam <laughs> and steal pets on the platform and then resell them for actual hard currency. And I felt incredibly old when three weeks ago Neopets released a 20th anniversary NFT. Wow. Neopets NFT is such a uniquely cursed phrase. <laughs> um, I will not be expanding any further into that. But I, but I feel like I agree, Alex, that the age, specifically 11, is such a weird age to experience the internet because I think you're, you're like first getting allowed access to the internet. That was the age where I feel like where my, my dad practically one summer forced me. He was like, there's this cool new thing. It's called Exit Reality. It's this like VR website program. You have to use it. It's so cool. And then I went on and I was obviously like unsupervised on the internet. And that was where I met my first online boyfriend. Um, we like met in this like weird virtual space thing. And then we traded MSNs and then talked to each other on MSN <laughs> Messenger for about like three more months where... He was like, I'm in Illinois. Where are you? And and I was like, I'm a 17-year-old in Ottawa, even though I was <laughs> an 11-year-old in, in Epping, Sydney. Um, <laughs> so it was my first foray into like ASL culture. And your first foray into catfishing. So crazy how in the early 2000s, parents let their children on the internet unsupervised. It was truly a different time. It was the wild west of the internet. <laughs> so when you were doing that, did you have avatars? Do you need avatars for the metaverse? Like, like without them, does that mean my preteen forays into Yahoo Chat was also the metaverse? I believe that's called uh, just like having a, having a creepy experience. <laughs> yeah, I was going to – well, I, I was going to say I was trying to think of the rooms because you had different chat rooms on Yahoo and it was like, you know, this is the room where we can talk about how much we love America. And like, <laughs> this is the room where we can talk about food. But there was also like late night spa room and I remember like, uh, you know, dipping my toe into that being like, ooh, Oh, no. <laughs> it was all public. It was very weird. I reckon we should go back to the early internet metaverses that we've been talking about. Like, I feel like we should just completely say goodbye to the current iterations and go back to Neopets and exit reality and screw ourselves away into those beautiful times before Mark Zuckerberg. I feel like I'm I'm so much more comfortable with a terrible two-dimensional avatar just like jolting its way across the screen than all of the weirdly bad attempts at trying to make it look almost realistic. They just they freak me out and make me sad. So Steph, there's also probably a very real reason why you're more comfortable with a 2D avatar, which is that one of the kind of core technologies that's meant to propel us into the metaverse is VR. And as it currently stands, VR makes a disproportionate number of women seasick to the point of vomiting. So we, we've known about this issue since at least 2005 with VR and I've experienced VR sickness myself where when you put on a VR headset, it makes you so seasick that you want to throw up or even like continue to feel seasick for an hour after you've taken your headset off. And this happens to a five to three female to male ratio are at risk of throwing up from putting on VR headsets. So currently the technology to even sort of project the metaverse in 3D and in that kind of immersive way is quite sexist. Well, the platform that Zuckerberg developed immediately before Facebook was definitely a place to rate the attractiveness of women. Well, now he's building a world without them because all the women throw up when they put their headsets on. 
All right, Steph, you've been asking us all day, what is the metaverse? And now I'm going to ask you, can you give our audience a one sentence explanation of the metaverse that they can trot out to their parents? Okay. Yeah. I feel a bit more confident now. So from what I've gathered, this is a concept that's existed for decades, which Facebook is trying to take ownership of and distract us with, which involves a bit of virtual reality, maybe augmented reality, definitely just digital spaces you can move between, play games in, buy things for using technology that doesn't really exist yet which is ultimately going to make us feel sick. (laughs) Like, who's excited about this? Is anyone outside of Silicon Valley looking forward to the metaverse? Do we want this? It would depend on what you see. I think we, like, as it looks now, I think it's very unexciting. I don't know. I'm not that that interested in it. I think that um, it just looks like a shinier version of Facebook and and some animated Zoom meetings, which don't really (laughs) excite me all that much at the moment. No, thank you. Perhaps the metaverse is doomed to just be dystopian. The internet being the internet, I think that um, these things would quickly go quite badly. And, and I, you know, I'm i not convinced that unless, particularly Facebook, I'm not convinced that Facebook would set up a, a metaverse where the rules are tightly regulated so it's not a complete shambles when people try to use it. Yeah, thanks, Josh. Yeah, thank you so much, Josh. Thanks for having me on in the reality of Zoom meetings. <laughs> in this metaverse? All right, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we are deconstructing the deconstructed sushi recipe going viral on TikTok featuring Kupi May. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Please sponsor us. So in our grand tradition of hazing people in the second segment, this time it's my turn (laughs) in a new section that I am going to call Saved for Lunch. So, Steph, Michael, I hope your bellies are very full right now because I made you cook a thing for lunch and tape yourselves doing it. What did you make? How did it go? The most basic uh, description would be a Frankenstein sushi roll, I guess. I think I've got my ingredients sorted. I am experimenting with my first ever TikTok viral recipe. You're like one of those like fictional space captains who are keeping logs just like for the rest of humanity to eventually discover. Um, I definitely feel like I am. She really- gets an insane amount of salmon. She smushes it onto her plate. I'm in my kitchen. The salmon... He's ready to go. Uh, get some old rice, puts it on top, gets an ice cube. Feeling kind of nervous, not going to lie. Last time I made something that involved baking paper, uh, it definitely caught fire in the oven. And then then mm, mash it all together with sriracha sauce, 
with QP Mayo. Um, she arranges it in a lovely little kind of hot dog sauce sort of zigzaggy pattern. And I'm going to do that too. In other words, it's kind of like an elevated version of what I very recently found out my parents' dog eats for dinner every night. Oh, lovely. <laughs> I'm glad I found that out after eating it. That's great. Alex, why did you make us do this? So the reason is because I have never seen a recipe that has been as repeated as this one. Our For You pages for the past week or so have been dominated by Miss Emily Mariko. I've never seen a viral recipe credited to the creator in quite the way Emily Mariko has managed to achieve. Let's do a quick lesson with Emily Mariko-san. Emily Mariko has had her videos making this recipe viewed over a hundred million times, but that's not what makes it truly viral. What makes it such a viral recipe is that there are so, so many people filming themselves, creating iterations and riffs on this dish. So there are now 63 million views on the hashtag spicy salmon on TikTok, which is basically all just people cooking variations on this exact recipe in response to the original creator. The thing that I found most ridiculous about the video was actually two things. One was how many times she recorded herself doing exactly the same video in different outfits. That was uh, a part of TikTok I was not familiar with. (laughs) But the other was like the idea that you are sharing a recipe or assemblage or whatever it is. And the crucial bit of information in there for me as somebody who (laughs) enjoys cooking would be how did you cook the salmon? She doesn't show it. And how long do you put it in the microwave for? Doesn't show it in any of the iterations. There was no information about how long to actually reheat this thing for. It's interesting that you noticed that she cooked it so many times because this recipe is really different from the other viral TikTok recipe that exploded this year, which was a feta pasta bake. Everyone knows this spicy salmon dish is Emily Mariko's spicy salmon rice, but The other dish, the TikTok pasta, actually went viral in Finland in 2019 and the original author, Lee Messer, did not catch a lot of clout for inventing the dish. The amount of brand recognition she currently wields, I actually, like, like, I have a story about this. As I was making the salmon last night and and the odour of fish drifted through the entire house, my roommate at one point walked into the kitchen and was like, oh, you're making Emily Mariko's recipe. <laughs> She's instantly recognised. But who actually is Emily Mariko? Like, where did she arise from, from the depths of the internet? So she's mostly a YouTuber, but at the beginning of September, she had around 70,000 followers on TikTok, and now it is up to 7 million. She does your kind of standard issue, lifestyle, healthy-ish recipes, activewear, fashion, content. And what's really interesting about her social media presence is that people are saying that watching her cooking videos is actually disrupting diet culture. I personally say from dietitian to her, also for all the dietitians, thank you so much for making white rice a very high... How? This dish is not healthy. Well, the thing is, she's model-esque, she's in activewear, and she's eating carbs. Groundbreaking. I mean, part of it is just like the exoticization of it all, right? People are like, oh my God, I have to go to my Asian grocer and get kimchi and maybe get roasted seaweed, um, which are things that 
I feel like I grew up with. It's like pantry staples, my parents' house. But I can definitely imagine a subsect of users being like, this is new to my taste buds and new to my palate um, and actually go really nicely together. Yeah, Michael, I can I can give you the white person perspective on this, <laughs> which is that I did enjoy going to my Asian grocery and I rediscovered my love of seaweed. So like that part of it spoke to me. The novelty of sending white people down a different grocery aisle is definitely a factor. And there were some people who even said that they discovered QP mayonnaise through this recipe, which I feel very bad for those people. (laughs) But it's also that it is extremely quick and easy to make. It's very low skill and that's part of what makes a recipe go viral. If you can put something together in 15 minutes without really knowing how to cook, people will. Wait till they find out about sesame QP their minds, they're going to be blown. (laughs) The big question that I have is having made Emily Mariko's salmon and rice once, are you going to make it again? I'm going to spare you um, my mouth noises and simply record my reaction. I'm excited for how it's going to taste. I've had a little packet of roasted seaweed already because I was feeling very hungry and very snackish. But It is really tasty. I question the um, the seaweed as like the appropriate vehicle, particularly if you're doing the large roll because it just disintegrated immediately. And- a strong no, but I can definitely see why it's viral. And I actually think my own theory as to why it's gone so viral is because it is a dish that truly looks bad, but <laughs> somehow miraculously ends up tasting much better than its beige hue would imply. I don't think I will make it again unless I happen to have like salmon that needs to be used up and rice that needs to be used up and seaweed that needs to be used up. Like I'm not going to go out to the shop and buy all these ingredients, but I definitely enjoyed eating it. Time for our last segment, top of the list, where we recommend the things that we've loved this week. I am recommending a film that is screening as part of Sydney Film Festival's online program um, for the next two weeks. It's a film called Swan Song, um, and it features the lovely Jennifer Coolidge, but it's also about a very snippy hairdresser who escapes his nursing home and goes on this like very wild and campy trek across Ohio. Mine's a little left field this week. It's hay fever season. My eyes are watering constantly. And my recommendation is getting an eyelash perm. It means you look like you're wearing mascara, but you don't have to for like six weeks. And I've looked like much less of a panda since I had it done. I'm going to recommend kind of my secret weapon, which is Today in Tabs. It's a newsletter by Rusty Foster, where he basically collects the best of the internet and shoves it all into an email. I think it's three times a week, maybe a bit more. Uh, It's where I get the best links for. I I steal from it all the time for our own newsletter, so I need to give him a shout out. If you like the show, you should rate and review us in whatever podcast player you happen to be listening on. And if you're looking for more episodes, just Google us or go to theguardian.com forward slash saved for later. We have a website now. Some would call it a metaverse. The smallest metaverse. This episode was produced by Miles Herbert and Karishma Luthria. The music was handcrafted by Joe Koenig. The executive producers are Miles Martignoni and Gabrielle Jackson. We'll catch you next week.
Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. 